Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a medallia company, and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer a certification program for CSMs and coaching for customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Today, I'm joined by Mona Yost, the Vice President of Education Success at Learning Ally. She'll be sharing her experience of transforming a team she inherited into a high-performing customer success team. And she has some ideas and tips that will help you if you're in a similar situation. So Mona, thanks for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Glad to be here, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about how you landed in customer success. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I'm actually an educator by trade. I'm a reading specialist and I always had a passion for helping struggling readers and then helping teachers um, get better results for the struggling readers that they worked with. And I did a lot of professional development um, for the staff that I worked with and met a sales rep that repped a reading program that we had great success with. And we had success with it because I did so much professional development with my teachers. And they said, hey, you know, we've got these customers over here and these customers over here Uh that aren't as much success with our product, could we pay you to come and work with them? Um, Because they're smart salespeople. They knew if that product was sitting on the shelf, they were not going to get return sales. Um, So years later, I'm still helping implement educational programs. But in education, now we've gone digital and schools are accessing their content through digital. And typically it's a subscription service. So that's how I found myself in customer success. Very cool. Um, you're actually one of several former educators that I know who have landed in customer success. So there's probably something to that. I think if you're good at teaching, you probably are good at teaching customers too. So Mona, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Learning Ally. Can you share with the audience what the company does and how your customer success team is structured there? Sure. Learning Ally is a nonprofit ed tech company that provide audiobooks to students that need support, that they're struggling readers, they need that extra leg up to help them access to their grade level content, um, or also just to be able to be reading the same books their peers are reading and talk about it. Um, so we sell direct to consumers for um, how we really got our start. But now our primary growth sector is K-12 education okay. and school districts. Okay. So we've kind of shifted focus over the years. Our CS team is um, for a small nonprofit. I am very blessed with a large team of 27. Ooh, nice. For educator success, yes. Um, but that's really three functional areas. So that includes my customer care that's inbound support. Okay. Um, I have a 
flexibility there. And then two, what I consider true customer success teams. One's called the school success team. And they support all of our customers that are just single schools that have decided to purchase on their own. So that's more of our light touch or one-to-many team approach. And then the implementation success team, they're the ones that handle all of the larger, um, higher touch customers. And I actually have them divided in an East team and a West team. Okay, great. Um, before we dig in to the details, let's talk about what you mean when you talk about building a high performance team. Um, what does that kind of a team look and act like to you? Sure. And I know it could be different for anybody, but what I was really driving for and still driving for, and we're making progress every day, <laughs> is a team that sees themselves as business professionals that own a book of business. Okay. Um, that's that's a big cultural shift we had to work to make. And they own that customer through onboarding, through the success milestones within that first year, all the way through the renewal. Um, they're very proactive and have a set of best practices that they follow. We have a, a playbook that drives the process that okay. we follow. But they see themselves also as somebody that is a strategic partner with the customer stakeholder because those customers are accountable for delivering student results. And we're the partner to help them do that so that they are confident enough in their knowledge and skills that they feel that they can have that level of um, relationship with mm -hmm. the customer. Definitely, I would add data-driven, really looking at customer health. And are we have kind of a wonky way of doing that, I admit. We can talk about that if we, you know, if the topic goes there. Um, but really using the data of what are we seeing as far as how is the product being used? When's the last time logged in? All of those sorts of things. And we measure that against the activities that they log as well to be able to measure up. Are the activities that I'm doing really driving the customer success or That's not? Great. Um, the last I would add, I would say, is that they, they're confident enough to partner with sales, that we really want to work in a partnership and that we can help them in upsells by trying to uncover some opportunities. Yeah, that's great. I, I think um, you have a, painted a beautiful picture of what it can look like. Uh, with that target in mind, let's talk about what you did to move your team at Learning Ally toward that. Um, what was the team like when you first joined? It was um, an interest, interesting, very fragmented, not even a complete team. So they had four account managers that just focused okay. on our large and medium accounts. There were no standard operating procedures that they followed and zero collaboration. So it was like a, a team of independent contractors almost. Um, oh, wow. So they had their book of business. Then there was a smaller team that I inherited right away. I had to kind of bring those account managers into the fold gradually. Um, and the account engagement managers focused on large and medium as well, but they were basically told, don't call on any district customers, only talk to schools. So you mm -hmm. have two teams not talking to one another, not following a standard protocol, calling into the same account. Um, so just no coordination of efforts. Um, okay. And then there was an, another team that just dealt with small schools that had no connection. And, and literally, Kristen, these three different entities all even reported to different functional areas of the company. Oh, wow. So there's yeah. no coordination at all. Yeah, really choppy customer experience, probably. Yeah, yeah. very much so. 
Yeah. How did you initially approach the change management process? What What was your plan and what were your first steps? You know, it's probably going to sound so like mundane, but I started by mapping out the customer journey and really doing it in a disciplined way. So imagine a conference room, big conference room, and one whole wall is idea paint. And I brought each of those separate teams in and we drew a timeline and I said, let's map out your process. How do you start onboarding with a new customer? How do you get them implementing? How do you go in and check their data to see how it's doing? So all of those disparate teams, I had them do it in parallel. Okay. And it gave us this big visual of all of the places we're touching the customer that included visibly showed where there's redundancies and we're kind of tripping over each other. It showed where there were big gaps in our process. And it also gave them an opportunity. I used it as a springboard for them to say, what are your pain points in trying? We want to do a great job. What's holding you back? If this, if we were to, I kind of got the excitement built around it to say like, okay, now let's repaint this picture. If it was a perfect world, what would this wall look like? So we really got some great um, a picture of the ideal future state that they okay. all had a part in helping to co-create. Mm-hmm. So I encountered a lot less resistance that way because they know they all had input into building the process. Um, so together we envisioned that um, ideal state. I obviously had to take it to get the executive support and buy-in. But from that, that's how we actually redesigned the whole organization that brought all of those disparate teams into one organization that now reports up to me where we have, you know, a coordinated team and coordinated efforts and a plan of how we very proactively touch all of these, you know, different customer segments. And it's Mm -hmm. one team. Um, So then, you know, there's heavy lifting that comes that after you get that executive support, now you got to like actually roll out the changes. Uh, (laughs) Largely, I mean, it was, that was heavy lifting, but largely everyone w- was on board, but because I think because of the way we mapped out that plan, let them have input and say, and they felt they had ownership of that desired future state going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think you did a really nice job with that. It sounds like, and it really got a lot of buy-in from the team. Um, I think your team members were and are still, of course, the biggest factors in the change management process. How did you tackle the process of growing their skills and developing them professionally? Yeah, that's been a process. Um, First, honestly, I had to identify fundamentals and fit. Mm -hmm. So we looked at in this future state, what are some of the fundamental must do things that you've got to master to be able to do this job well. And we boiled it down to, for the purposes of identifying the right team, um, doing that initial planning call where you're, you know, getting the buy-in from that customer, getting the relationship and really mapping out what the onboarding plan is going to look like. Um, A product training, because we do like just an initial product overview for any end users that need that. And then a data review. So Everybody that wanted to keep a role in this newly created uniform team had to role play those three scenarios with me being the customer. Okay. So, and then I created a rubric of the the skills, the strategies, the soft skills, the things that I really wanted to see 
on this team. And honestly, it was used and the team knew going in, this is an assessment that determined if A, you got a seat on the team because some people didn't. If you just, if they just didn't have it within them, mm-hmm. the base you know, most basic of skills, you're not doing anybody a favor by putting them into a role where they don't have what it takes to be successful. Right. Um, And that determined what role they, you know, what level, what tier team they got put into. Um, So that's, that's how we set the team. Then the second thing we had to do was make sure everybody's operating from the same foundational knowledge. So we put everybody through um, online customer success foundations course Mm-hmm. Um, so that we knew we were all talking the same language. Then we built a playbook and there was a certification process around those, again, those key foundational um, moments with the customer, if you will, or mm-hmm. you know milestones that we need to meet that now with their new manager, because they are all on newly formed teams, had to go through those same exercises and they were rated with the same rubric, but in a real customer facing scenario where their manager was listening in and observing. And that's now just become a part of our ongoing process that at least twice a year, they're doing that with their manager because maybe you did great and you scored all threes on this four point rubric. But if we want to continue to push ourselves to be highly, highly performing, I want to push those threes to fours. So everybody still receives that ongoing feedback. Yeah. Your teaching skills are really coming in handy here. That's great. (laughs) Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today, I'd like to talk about one type of consulting engagement we offer at the Success League. Customer success deep dives last between three days and two weeks and are focused on helping companies plan a customer success program tailored to their organization. Common deep dive topics include metrics and goals, hiring and compensation, customer journey mapping, and segmentation. Each deep dive session includes concrete deliverables, like business models and annual plans, that you can quickly put to use. If you need help with planning for 2019, a deep dive engagement is a great way to kickstart your efforts. Visit the consulting page on our website, thesuccessleague.io, for more information. I also want to mention StrikeDeck's new Customer 360 template. This free download is the best way to figure out if you're ready for a customer success tool. It is an automated spreadsheet that will help you keep track of all your current customers, generating an individual health score for each one. Quick reports can be easily developed through the analytics tab and tasks can be tracked on the task manager. If you're looking for a quick, simple to use, yet robust solution for your CS needs, StrikeDeck's Customer 360 template is the tool for you. Download your copy today at strikedeck.com. And now back to our interview. So Mona, you mentioned to me before the podcast that you do quarterly business reviews with your team members. And just to clarify, since in our field, we often use the term QBR to mean the reviews with our clients. These are actually internal reviews that you run between yourself and your team members. Can you tell us more about those reviews? Yeah, so um, we do those types of reviews with our customers, but educators don't like to be like it's a quarterly business review really isn't the right nomenclature for them. So we just call them success check ins, but same idea the data and all that kind of stuff. But internally, if you think about what one of the things I said earlier is that I needed to shift the culture for this team to see themselves as business professionals. And I thought what a great thing to call it. Because 
we needed them to see themselves in that way. So instituting this internal QBR process to me was a critical step to help us make that shift and continue that culture of accountability. So basically we um, have them compile the data that they have available to them. But I wanted to do this through, we're, we do these four executive stakeholders. So our VP of renewals, our VP of finance, our VP of operations all sit in on the QBRs. So I wanted to say, you know, what from their point of view would they want to see? They're trusting us. We own renewals. So they're trusting us to manage a large part of our business. So what do they need visibility into? And that's how I kind of created the agenda. And I created a template for the team. They're busy. I want them as much time customer facing as possible. So I wanted to make this not too daunting. So I just created a deck that has the key things that we would want to talk about. So our health indicators that we have to look at, the activities that they logged, um, you know, looking at, because I want to eventually be able to piece together what are some of my team doing more of that others yeah. are not, and maybe they're getting a better result. So we always have that learning built in. Um, we looked at their renewal performance, their upsell performance, what kind of you know results they're driving there. And then we did a deep dive into their largest accounts. Okay. And then the ones that they felt were their highest churn risk. So, um, and that way that we ended each QBR with a discussion around based on all the this that we've just looked at, what should our approach be and strategy going into the next quarter? And it's not a, you know, it's a time to get some executive input and it's not a um, evaluative type of a moment. It's a, what do we need to do for you as your leaders in your organization so that you can be successful? Because if you're successful, our customers are successful, our organization is successful. And I was really worried the first time out that they would get all stressed out about it and see it as, you know, this is a part of my evaluation. And hands down, they all said, I was nervous coming in, but this was such a great process because not only did I have to take a deeper dive looking at my accounts in a way I haven't before, I learned, but I also got great, valuable input from leaders within the organization. And I know they've got my back. That's fantastic. I love that. Um, you also mentioned to me that you share success stories. So what's your process for doing this and how have you seen that elevate the performance of your team? Yeah, it's it's not as formal of a thing, um, but to me, it's the way that we keep an ongoing, you know, there's only so much education you can can shove at them. To me, it's the way we keep just keep our regular work with customers and are working together as a collaborative team as almost like a little learning lab. So each of the teams has a, a weekly team meeting with their leader. I sit in when I can and they're asked to bring either a success or it could be a problem that they're trying to solve, an issue that they're working through with a customer that they haven't had to work through before. And with each situation um, that they have handled successfully, say, or maybe they have to collaborate and problem solve together, that the rest of them in that group now have learned how to handle that situation or a possible way forward, even when they may not have encountered it yet. Because sure enough, it's inevitable. They're going to run into a similar situation with that customer. Right. And having had the chance to listen in to the, you know, the, the thought process or hear the success story, they're all growing from that, even though that situation only happened to one of them. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. 
Yeah. Do you use a particular tool to do that or is it just all kind of verbally in a, in a meeting? It's all verbally in a meeting, but okay. we've, there have been things that have flowed up from that that ended up getting written into our uh, playbook. And what we're trying to do now with the playbook is build those softer skills. So there's, you know, there's the step, you know, to do a planning call, step one, do this, and then talk about this, and then, you know, document this and get these dates from the customer. Like you build it with those, you know, those very technical things first, but now it's, it's building more the softer side of it and what to do in certain instances. So we've actually added a troubleshooting section to the playbook. Um, but even just, even more than that, like, the things I have a great story, if you don't mind me sharing, um, go for it. Yes. One of my team members that actually I considered one of the more junior of the team when we did the whole performance evaluation and deciding who's going to get what seat on the bus. Um, she, uh, had a, a situation with a customer happens to all of us. We had a price increase. So she of course runs into objections from the customer about the yep. increase, and then they go and look at their usage, and the usage is low. So, of course, you can guess what is going to happen yeah. here. Like, oh, well, maybe I'm not getting enough value at it. You know, we didn't budget that much more money. We didn't anticipate your price increase. So, we're just not going to renew. And instead of her saying, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that, she was brave. And I, I have to find a way to reward bravery because sometimes there are moments with a customer that you can't just back down. You have to be brave. And she right. said, hang on just a minute. I said, I'm looking at your records and I can't see within the past five years, any engagement I've had with your teachers to train them. I said, when's the last time you've retrained them? And they, they you know, looked back and they couldn't find it. And I said, I said, do me, she said, do me a favor. I said, if you give me 24 hours, I'm going to take this to my leaders and see if I can defer this price increase for you for at least another year so you can afford it with the money you've already budgeted. But I will do that if you promise that you give me a 45-minute training session with your teachers because I guarantee you I can get their usage up. Nice. Nice negotiation. Yes. Yeah. Like that – and I, I don't know, if, is there another word for it? Like that, those skills that you need to do this job, that sometimes it's just being brave. Yeah. It's taking a stand, knowing what's best for them. What's best, and in our case, it's like, it's students. We're talking about students' lives here. So we get a little passionate about it, you know? But I'm yeah. so proud of that. And to share that success story with the rest of the team gives them that little bit of confidence that it's okay to stick your neck out sometimes. The customer always could have said no, but at least they know you were advocating for them and trying to create a win-win. I just love that. It's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, tell me how you manage your team's performance now that you've invested in um, developing them into a high-performance team. How do you measure their success? Well, you know, some of those those measures that I talked about in the QBRs, um, reason mm -hmm. that I called a lot of those things out that they were reporting on quarterly is because they are part of our annual KPI as well. So those are things that they will be measured on, you know, within your portfolio, how many students are registered, how many are reading, how many are reading with frequency, how many active educators do you have? We have a score we call FOPI, which is fidelity of program implementation. That's kind of an algorithm of all of those things together. Okay. Uh, we look at their renewal, we look at their upsell, but really to continue to grow them, um, two things. So one is that constant, um, or at least periodic, 
ongoing feedback from the manager, looking at the rubrics of this is what we said, you know, high performance is, I'm going to give you, you know, ongoing coaching, but always looking for new metrics too. We know we don't quite have it yet. Um, or you're always looking to refine. You're always looking to get bet, you know, better data that gives you better insights and those those KPIs you want to hold them to. But it's not just about holding them to be high performing. It's about us. Part of being a high performing team is that constant learning. So right. the new KPI that we are just getting calculated right now. It's a little late, but better late than never. Is a time to first value. So from initial onboarding, how many days did it take us to get to our milestones of how many active educators and how much students are reading, you know, and and all of that kind of thing? How many days did it get us? Did it take us to get to that first milestone? Because this back to school year, we implemented drastically new and different onboarding practices, you know, in implementing these new teams and new, you know, plays in the playbook and those new procedures. Yeah. Um, that's a way that we can really make sure that we move the needle. Now, I'm and happy to say that I can tell you with the um, data we have, reading is up 22% over last year, over last school year. That's fantastic. So we're very excited about that. But me, that to me, that time to first value is going to give us more learning because if I'm looking at you know, Chad over here, your, your time to first value is like 23 days, but this person is, you know, here is longer. Let's, let's have dialogue. Let's compare notes. What do you think? How did you enhance our practices? Is it, you know, so we're constantly learning that way and are upping our game as an, just an ongoing way that we exist. Yeah, I think that's how you do that. I mean, you, as a leader of a high performing team, you have to constantly be pushing for better and better performance. And that ends up um, producing better and better results for your customers, which is rewarding. But in a mission-driven company like yours, it's even more rewarding because it's really helping to serve kids in school, which is great. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody in the audience is in a similar situation, maybe they inherited a team or they're in the process of building a new customer success team and they want to build a high performance customer success team, how would you recommend that they get started? I would have to say, don't fall for the temptation. You're you're new to an organization. You want to show your own value very, very quickly. Um, Don't don't jump too quickly. A lot of times I say, go slow to go fast. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, um, really take the time to dig in and learn what is currently happening, what that current customer experience is at every point of the customer journey and look at it, not just from the internal side, but from the customer perspective as well. You have to look at it through both lenses because if you really, it's, Really, I don't think I could have been as successful if I just came in and said, I've done this customer success thing before at my last company. I know how it's done. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I don't think I could have been nearly as successful because I wouldn't have had the learning. I wouldn't have had the time to develop the trust in the relationships I needed to have people that had my back and helped me through the tough times when we were implementing some pretty challenging changes and to get the executive support for that. Um, 
but to be able to put together a plan and present it and gather the buy-in from that place of deep knowing and understanding of what the current state is versus this is just how I know customer success is done. So we're going to do it this way. So give yourself the gift of that time, because what I have found now over a year in this role is that it's paying dividends because I'm not having to constantly go back and and dig a little bit deeper down that rabbit hole or, you know, a yeah. box opens and I wasn't expecting it. I really took the time to look under every rock and every paper to make sure I, but I mean, obviously you can't take forever. I had, uh, you know, a deliverable of 90 days on the job that they wanted at least some initial recommendations, right. but take every bit of those 90 days because it's, it's yeah. really going to help inform your decisions that will, will really get you a better result in the long run. Yeah, that's really great advice. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to off-road. Uh, okay. We always ask our guests one last question. Um, what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? I think it's a two-part concept that okay. is outcomes and effort. And I'll explain what I mean. And it's 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 really some things that I've been hearing a lot in the reading that I'm doing and all of the you know webinars and podcasts and stuff. But um, there's an author by the name of Paul Henderson. I don't know if you know him. He just wrote a re book recently that came out called The Outcome Generation. Yep. And I think he's clearly defined one of our biggest hurdles in customer success. And that's that, at least in my organization and most organizations I've worked for, our salespeople are really successful doing solution selling, which means they first had to identify a problem that our product offers the solution for. So the customer is now coming into the relationship with that customer success manager thinking, this is my solution to problem X. So mm -hmm. the way he describes it by that having them still focus on this as a solution to a problem, they're looking back at what the problem is to see if this is really working as the fix for it. And I kind of use the analogy when I explained this to my team, it's like, you've got them still looking in the rear view mirror. And the next part that comes is that when you're implementing something new, there's always some effort. There's always a bit of a heavy lift. And if that lift one day starts feeling a little bit too heavy and they still have one eye in the rear view mirror, they're going to say, you know what? Maybe, maybe this wasn't worth it. Maybe that problem really wasn't all that bad all along. So to me, I think our biggest challenge that I try to get my team to do is shift the dialogue. When we do the sales handoff, we get the sale. They at least have to say, what is the problem this customer is trying to solve with our solution? And I mm -hmm. have to switch the dialogue. So that's great. Now, what are the outcomes we're driving towards? So we shift that vision from the rearview mirror to the windshield mm -hmm. So that we're look, they're looking forward that we're driving towards something because then when the effort level starts getting up, we can keep them focused forward instead of going back to that comfort zone they were in before. And there's another book that I love um, by Matt Dixon called The Effortless Experience. And in mm -hmm. there, he actually cites a study that says that customer perceived effort is more highly correlated to churn than their actual customer satisfaction levels. Mm -hmm. which, you know, and I try to be very sensitive to that, of always looking through the customer's lens of how much of this can we bear for them so that it feels as effortless, 
effortless as possible for the customer. So when you put those two concepts together, I think it really makes sense for customer success of why we keep focusing on outcomes and actually trying to pull away from that problem solution dialogue. Um, and that's really what Paul Henderson's book is about. The outcome generation is that we are actually going to develop a, a generation of sales reps that rise above that solution selling to outcome selling to really, you know, sell them the outcome that they're looking for, not the product and the features and the, you know, the problem that it solves. So I'm really, I'm liking the dialogue that I'm hearing out there. And I'm really hoping the dialogue continues to go that way. I know that's the way I'm driving my team. Yeah. Well, and I think it ties into the example you shared earlier about your um, CSM who really challenged the customer to do something that she knew would be in their best interest and would provide them value and deliver the outcome they were looking for. I think CSMs have to really be brave and willing to challenge customers so that, you know, in a, in the spirit of getting the customer to where they want to go. And, um, and I think that it ties right into what you were just saying. And that's a great perspective. Yeah, great. Thank you. And that whole concept of, you know, the way I've looked at the learning of the team and the growth of the team as a continuum that we develop over time, that fit yeah. in that braveness. So I know there's another word for it. I'm not thinking of it right now. I mean, that's definitely something that comes along as you develop your own maturity as a CSM. But boy, is it exciting when you see it and know that the work you've done to try to grow the team and and bring them, you know, resources and training and coaching um, has all driven towards that. That's pretty exciting. It is exciting. Mona, I really appreciate you sharing your story about developing a high performance customer success team. Um, sharing examples the way you did really helps our audience think about how they would apply what they learned from the podcast today. So thank you so much for both your time and your candor. Sure. Love to. Um, is there a way that somebody could get in touch with you if they wanted to? I'm always happy to chat with somebody on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way. It's just Mona Yost. Okay. Um, Yost is Y-O-A-S-T. And I would like to truly, um, genuinely love people to reach out because we're all still figuring this out together. That's what's exciting about it. It's such a new career field. We're all still learning. And it's just this opportunity to dialogue with other people that are learning through driving this work is um, is rare. And I'm, I'm hungry for it. So please do reach out. That's great. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.